Hey friends, welcome to Her God Story Podcast, where you will always hear a good story to encourage, inspire, and equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. In 1678, John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, a story that's still considered a classic today. It tells the journey of a young man from his hometown, the city of destruction, to the celestial city as he encounters challenges and help along the way. It's written as an allegory of our faith journey, as you probably know, but if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I mention it now because my guest Kay Horner reminded me of that book recently as she was sharing a bit of her story with me. Kay's life also has had some twists and turns and she has always kept her eyes on where she's going, that celestial city. You're gonna be inspired by her tale. Kay is the executive director of Awakening America Alliance and the Helper Connection, but she's served in a lot of other roles as well, including being the executive director of New Hope Pregnancy Center, associate pastor of a church, administrator for Voice of Salvation Ministries, and much more. Kay has authored two books, The Christmas Dance and Today's Church, and is the contributing author in several more, which you can find listed in our show notes. On top of that, her favorite role, of course, is being the wife of Perry, mother of two, and now a grandmother. Welcome, Kay. Thank you, Jody. It's so great to be with you today. Before we jump into your story, uh, give us a glimpse of what Awakening America Alliance and the Helper Connection do. I'm not sure that a lot of our listeners have heard of those organizations. Well, the Awakening America Alliance's mission is to serve and resource kingdom initiatives for a true Christ awakening and missional living. That's the vision statement. But when it was first formed, the leaders from a broad spectrum of the kingdom of God came together and asked the question, if we're seeking God for a Christ awakening in America, what would it look like? And so they identified 10 indicators in the church and 10 in the culture, and these are listed on our website. So essentially, we're really pursuing seeing those become a reality. And it's amazing how many have since we began in 2007. Give us one example of that. For instance, we were praying for uh, a restoration of the influence of faith and and Christ in the media Mm -hmm. and arts and entertainment. And in 2007, how many Christian movies or faith-based movies did you know of? Wow. Yeah, not many. The Cross and the Switchblade, maybe. And now look at that how many are being produced on a consistent basis. As a matter of fact, Kendrick Brothers has another one coming out in just a few weeks called Life Mark that's based on a pro-life story about adoption. And that was one of the other indicators that we would see the church and, and the society come to recognize children as gifts from the Lord. Wow. In other words, a pro-life indicator. And yeah. look what's happening. Yeah. Well, that's so encouraging. That is so encouraging. It's really churches working together. I mean, God working to bring churches together for his purposes. And uh, you play a really important role in that. I don't know how how important my role is, but they did recognize there were four components of earlier Great Awakenings, and that was united prevailing prayer, pastor renewal, courageous preaching, and revitalized churches that were helping to transform their communities. And so that's some of the things that we are engaged with. Uh, Multiple prayer resources we provide, and we're also engaged in national and international prayer initiatives. As a matter of fact, yesterday I was with the National Prayer Assembly Task Force planning our biannual gathering that's scheduled for October October 31st through November 2nd this year. So that's that's kind of the Awakening America Alliance pouring into that pastor renewal with care for pastors, marriage retreats and intensives, a pastoral care line. We have something called Preach the Number Two, Preach to Engage. And we do some online training and briefings for equipping denominational leaders and pastors Well, the Helper Connection was birthed as an initiative of the Awakening America Alliance, and we uniquely serve the pastor's wives and women in ministry through some of the same initiatives, but we host a multi-denominational, multi-generational virtual meeting uh, almost monthly. We have relational retreats, an e-newsletter, and just kind of one-on-one encouragement, but 
I would say I'm really thankful for our Awakening America chairman, David Ferguson, who also leads the Great Commandment Network, and that's our partner ministry in Austin. And their team really are instrumental in helping all of this be a possibility. Prayer gathering in October is who's that open for? Who's who should participate in that? Well, it's it's open to anyone that's really sincere and interested in praying for an awakening in the nation and praying for the upcoming elections and just for an overall revival in America. Essentially, we we invite uh, the national prayer ministry leaders and others. This year, it's really exciting. We are collaborating with our First Nations people, and they are helping to co-host because God's really bringing in a a revival in our First Nations population in the nation. That is wonderful. So we'll have a link to that information on the show notes. So if you're listening and you want more information about that prayer gathering, check out the show notes where you can find out more. Kay, you have likened your story to that of Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress story. What ignited your quest for that celestial city? Well, I guess my journey to discovering Christ and this quest for the celestial city, it really began through the lens of story, listening to Bible stories that my mom would read to me and my three brothers each night before bedtime. I actually still have the Bible storybook that she used, and I've read from it to my children and grandchildren, even though the book's backbone is held together with some worn masking tape. (laughs) (laughs) When you want to know really about what my younger years were like, I don't have a real vivid memory of that, but I do know that my parents had wonderful servant hearts, and they were really actively engaged in our local church. You probably remember when families didn't miss a service. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, every revival service, a gospel singing or district convention. I mean, we were there. Yeah. Little League games or all these other activities. They didn't interfere. We were going to go to church. (laughs) Yeah, they they took second place. Exactly. I even remember one morning riding the Memphis City bus with my grandmother to the ladies' quilting session and playing around their quilting frame while they fellowshiped and sewed. Wow. And that was a neat, neat memory that just came as I was thinking about our time today. But both of my grandmothers were very committed Christians. Um, When my dad's mom would visit us from Louisiana, She always slept in my room because I was the one who had the double bed. And early in the morning, she would sit up on the edge of the bed, turn around, you know, put her feet on the floor and pray for a little while before she ever went about her day. Wow. And later I'd see her sitting in the den where she would lay aside her crocheting to read the Bible. You, You just don't forget things like that. Exactly. I mean, that's such a good foundation for you as you're growing in your faith to know really what to do even if you don't see it modeled you don't know how to go about it unless someone teaches you exactly a lot of people grow up in the church but not everybody makes that personal decision to follow Christ at a young age sometimes it takes many many years and many many departures along the way but you did what drew you to Jesus much like pilgrim and bunyan's pilgrim's progress I accepted evangelist's invitation to journey with him and became a Christian around the age of eight. Uh, We were blessed with folks like Aunt Maudie. We called her Aunt Maudie. Uh, She taught what, what was known then as gleaners. That was our term for children's ministries because we were gleaning things from the Word of God. And she didn't have all the fancy decorations, the bells and the whistles or the technology that children's ministries use now. But she, like my mom, instilled a knowledge of and a love for God's word, even if it was just using flannel graph stories. Yeah, I remember the flannel graphs. They were great. (laughs) That was the technology of our day. (laughs) That was. uh Uh-oh, we're telling our age. (laughs) Yeah. But Aunt Maudie's contagious joy combined with this godly influence of my parents, and it helped me to make an early commitment to Christ. That's great. I remember you telling me about seeing 
a bunch of young people, your age, you know, seven, eight year olds up at the altar praying together. And you were kind of a little bit jealous. And that's one of the, one of the things that brought you to the Lord. Exactly. That's something that made a really strong impression on me. Uh, I, I, we experienced those altar services church and uh, I would join the other children at the altar just crying and praying for one another to be saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit and it may have initially been because I wanted to fit in with the group but it made a huge impact in my life you know I miss those times Jody I miss now that we're in an era of programmed or timed church (laughs) to make sure the live stream fits the appropriate schedule. Sometimes we limit those opportunities, especially for children. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think we have to continue this new normal because we're reaching thousands of people around the globe with the gospel, but we can't afford to sacrifice seeing people saved, healed, and delivered during spontaneous moves of the Spirit in our worship services and during our altar services. And we called it a service. We called it an altar service. (laughs) Yeah, some of the most profound memories I have of a young child, I, I accepted the Lord when I was six, and we were in a home fellowship group. Now, this home fellowship group had 100 plus people in it. It was met in a big house. And every Thursday night, we would get together, we would pray, we would sing, we had traveling evangelists come through and, and and minister and the children as well as the adults all sat together and learned together. But it made an experience, you know, I mean, we prayed for healings and we saw it. I remember one time we were all at this house and we were outside playing kickball and the kickball came right at my face. I stuck up my thumb, you know, to protect myself and it hit my thumb and broke it. I mean, it was deformed. It was swelling, black and blue, hurt. My mom and dad wanted to rush me to, you know, the emergency room. There were no patient cares at the time. And I said, no, 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 we need to pray about it. So we gathered around and we prayed. And while we were praying, I watched my thumb. The swelling went down. The black and blue went away. My finger went back to normal. It actually has just a slight tilt in my thumb so I can always remember what God did for me when I was eight years old. But I mean, when you see God heal you at a young age, when you experience the power of God, you never question it again. I mean, no matter what's going on in the world, you know, hey, God's power is greater. He heals, he sets free, he delivers. And when we see that as a young child and experience it, it just makes a world of difference. Jody, you know, I had a similar experience to that. As an adult, we were meeting in a home prayer gathering. And uh, one of the, the guys had had a broken arm issue. And we prayed for him. He felt he was healed. He took off the cast and never had any issues. Yeah, so you see these things. And I believe that the Lord wants to do that again. He wants that power flowing through his people, regardless of, you know, what position they hold, uh, because we're all part of the body of Christ and he wants to move through all of us. And I say, God, deliver us from barren altars and bring back the signs and the wonders and the miracles that cause people to be hungry to know this Jesus we serve. So what happened? I mean, you came to know the Lord when you said you were about eight and what helped you grow in your faith at that young age? I mean, you talked about your mom reading the Bible, when you were growing up, but what other practices or experiences did you have that just grounded you for all the things to come in your life? Well, lest I sound like a Miss Goody Two-Shoes, I faced my share of temptations and bad influences in school. In fact, I remember one time being at a friend's house with some other girls, and we were going to sneak and taste her mom's Jack Daniels. It was so nasty and burned my mouth so bad. (laughs) Cured you from drinking probably for a while. (laughs) I I spit it out in the sink. (laughs) And of course, we we tried to look cool by smoking a few cigarettes or whatever. So, you know, there were opportunities to definitely go the other direction. But thankfully, that was short-lived because I became involved in playing basketball. I was even a cheerleader for the football team in the eighth grade. And never mind the fact that my skirt had to be longer than the others because I was a church girl, right? 
But around that same time, we had a wonderful youth leader who happened to be married to our Sunday school teacher. And they spent a lot of time not only teaching us and doing things with us at church, but relationally connecting with us outside of church. My attention sort of shifted away from sports and the bad influences at school to a really active involvement with my church friends and activities. And suddenly I found myself wanting to read the word on my own, not just living off the Bible stories Mama and Aunt Maudie taught me, but I wanted to know Jesus for myself. Well, pre-puberty really can be a tough time for kids. And, you know, while the Lord was working in your life to uh, draw you closer to him, Satan really came at you with a vengeance during that time. And he tried to destroy your identity, literally, um, and derail your future. What happened during that time? Well, during my middle school years, mom began working outside the home. And often she worked second shift which left a gap between when we came home from school and when dad got in from work. And there were certain people who found they could take advantage of a very vulnerable situation. And uh, without going into a lot of details unnecessary, Satan really caused some potentially dangerous seeds to be sown in my life. Mm -hmm. Seeds of lust, manipulation, intimidation, And there were other incidents that occurred earlier in my life that I vaguely remember, but I chose to forgive. And one could say that like Pilgrim and Bunyan's story, I was having one of my many encounters with Apollyon, but his destructive tactics would be defeated because Satan wanted to name me dirty, damaged, Mm. unusable. But Christ had a purpose and a destiny for my life that was mightier than the enemy's plan for my destruction. And he called me chosen, anointed, a called daughter of the Most High God. Yeah, you really could have embraced the victim identity for the rest of your life after some of the abusive situations you you experienced, but you didn't. There was even a a moment during your high school years that reoriented you. Uh, toward that new identity that Lord had for you? What what was that? Well, it was kind of like all of a sudden who I'd been in those tween years, those troubled times between childhood and teenage, my name and my character began to be really changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and growing in my love for the Word. And God began to cleanse and just anoint me in amazing ways because of this influence of our youth leader and her husband is when my life kind of took a turn in a healthier direction. Uh, I still had a long way to go before God could reveal more of his plan for my life, but let me elaborate on it just a bit here. Uh One Sunday afternoon, several of the youth from our church had gone home for lunch with these wonderful mentors, and we gathered around their piano that afternoon and began singing. Mm -hmm. So what started as just fun became serious, and we found ourselves singing in church that night. Wow. And this eventually led to singing in other churches and denomination state functions, that type thing. And some in our group were exceptionally talented. (laughs) However, (laughs) I was never allowed to sing solos or duets for obvious reasons. Yet they often ask me to introduce the songs or the Holy Spirit would just break into our worship and move me to share what I would now know as maybe a word of knowledge or an exhortation or some type of perception or insight. And sometimes you now hear those called spoken words and you see them performed real dramatically, but I just, I just began to flow in the spirit in unique ways. And some of the spiritual mothers and fathers in our church began to recognize God's anointing on my mm. life and speak words of encouragement about his ministry through me. So essentially, God's call to active or vocational ministry was beginning to be developed in my life. And some people describe their call to ministries like a definitive moment or event. But I think mine was just more gradual. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you went to Christian junior college, you met your husband, you got married, you started a family, all the things that many women, you know, kind of expect, desire in their life. You became a mom. And obviously that was your your calling for that season. But how did your experiences as a child shape that season in your life? You bring to my memory one of my experiences as a child that's kind of humorous. When my sixth grade teacher, Miss Lawson, told mom that Angela, that was my name at school, was an excellent student, but she could place me on the other side of the room and I would still talk. (laughs) Someone should have recognized then that I would eventually be in a profession where words would be such an integral part of my life and ministry journey with teaching and praying. But other than just being, uh, you know, involved in church, involved with our youth group, that type thing, both Perry and I had really good Christian examples, and we wanted to teach our children about the Lord and have them involved in church too. But I was determined to be a stay-at-home mom because I wanted to love and teach and protect my children from what I had experienced. Yeah, I wasn't exactly a helicopter mom, but our children still laugh and talk about how protective we were. <laughs> a few yeah. things that I'm too embarrassed to mention on a live <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Uh, but they've also shared that we were one of the few homes among their friends that had consistent family devotions and prayer. Yeah. And one of my favorite books I read intermittently to them was this beautiful illustrated version of, guess what? Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. And it was, it was one for children. It was called Dangerous Journey. And I remember they finally asked, Mom, do we have to read that one again? (laughs) So we graduated to teenage devotions and activities. But, Jody, I might mention one other aspect. I've often said that how we lived as teens can be projected onto our children, even though they may be nothing like we perceive or fear they will become. Yeah. You know, some parents want their children to fulfill their dreams or passions they had and weren't allowed or able to fulfill, maybe like playing the violin or professional or college sports. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be so careful. My children didn't go down some of the roads I took. Yeah. Like going on my first date at the age of 13 during Mm -hmm. a state convention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The good thing was that we triple dated in a Volkswagen, so we couldn't get into too much trouble that night. So I don't know if you'd actually call it a date, but I thought it was. Sure. And that was partly because of some of the things I had experienced that I wanted or longed for that male attention Mm -hmm. and that uh, affirmation or whatever that I might not have received and longed for from my my parenting, you know, experience. Perry, uh, I remember, took Emily out for her first date. He met her at the front door. He gave her this special heart-shaped necklace, which was kind of like a purity ring. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to show her how she was to be respected and treated by anyone who chose to date her. I mean, we even required young men who wanted to date her to request her father's permission That's not such a bad idea. I mean, after all, you wouldn't let a teenage boy or a college kid bar you on more without asking, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) But the truth was neither of us wanted them to act the way we had during some of our own dating experiences. And so that impacted our parenting as well as the good things that we had experienced impacted it. Looking back on their growing up years, did your son and your daughter appreciate all of that? Do they model some of that in their child raising or their kids not old enough yet? <laughs> well, uh, our uh, we have a, a biological granddaughter and then I have a, a grandson from my days at the pregnancy center. He's probably old enough to date, but I don't have a lot of influence with that one. Our daughter and her husband are very involved with keeping their daughter in church. As a matter of fact, our son-in-law last week was involved with doing the puppets at Vacation Bible School with Lillian, Uh our granddaughter. Uh So 
So some of it carried over. Uh, some of it they probably didn't always appreciate. But we wouldn't flex a whole lot, especially on that asking permission to date our daughter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I so. think that's, wow, that's that's a great idea. I mean, you hear all the time of, you know, men asking for their father for their hand in marriage, although I'm not even sure that that is as common as it used to be. But, you know, asking if you can date, that's shows respect and honor. And there's an accountability there that young men need. <laughs> well, it also showed her and, and our son, of course, you know, he wasn't as involved in the dating scene uh, for a while there, but it also showed them how much we valued and treasured them. Yeah. That they, they were precious, priceless treasures in our lives. Mm-hmm. And we wanted them treated with respect and kindness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not sure I would have appreciated it when I was a teenager, if that was the rule at my house. But I certainly, looking back, you know, it would have, I mean, my parents were wonderful parents. I don't want to say anything bad about them at all. But uh, I know that in my teenage years, I was a little bit of a rebel. So <laughs> it might have actually been a good thing if that had been a rule in my house. <laughs> but, you know, long before homeschooling was even common, you took that road less traveled with your kids on top of, you know, having them involved in church and you actually homeschooled them as well. And that was a, a really big decision. What was that process like? And how did your son and daughter respond to homeschooling when it, when it wasn't as widely observed or practiced then? Well, homeschooling definitely was not something I had planned. Mm-hmm. I was a PTO mom and volunteer around the school and that was enough for me. And I was also traveling and ministering in ladies retreats by this time. I was involved in church leadership roles and volunteering at the local pregnancy care center. Yet our daughter uh, began to have some struggles in the middle school experience, Mm -hmm. especially when I was traveling. And just a variety of situations and circumstances caused us to sense that the Lord was calling us to begin teaching them at home during the seventh and ninth grades, which was a bit opposite from most homeschool parents who did it during the elementary grades. A little more difficult. (laughs) You have to remember, you have to remember what you're doing. You have to remember what you studied. (laughs) Well, I gave the Lord a a list of things that we were going to need if I did this, you know, this, you know, we need a computer, we'll need da, da, da and some things for a library or whatever. And he began to check them off one by one. And several wow. things confirmed that this was what we were to do. Of course, we had our share of struggles, especially when it came to teaching algebra. Uh, I was grateful for friends who were professors in math that could help along the way. Yeah. Uh, but God was teaching us to resolve some sibling rivalry and dysfunctional family dynamics that we probably would have never addressed otherwise if we had not been put in that environment together. Yeah, they kind of vacillated between loving and hating homeschool. (laughs) But involvement in church, the church youth group, along with taking biology lab and doing choral union at a local university helped to give them that social interaction with other young people that they might have felt like they were missing. But I recall one summer while our children were on a youth mission trip to the reservation, I think it was a Navajo reservation in Utah, I was praying and asking the Lord if he was sure that we were to continue homeschooling that Mm -hmm. fall. And it was a lot of work, and I, I became weary at times. He reminded me of the scripture that he had given me at the beginning of this journey, And it happened to be in my devotional reading for that day. And that's in Proverbs 9 and 10. It's also in Psalms, which I wasn't aware of, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Mm. And I sensed him saying, Kay, what do you really want your children to learn? Because, you know, if we live with a reverence for God and acknowledge of the Lord's sovereignty in our lives, He can manage every challenge we ever face. Parents today need that word more than ever because of all of the garbage that is 
seeping into so many schools, not every school and not every parent can homeschool, nor does God call every parent to homeschool, but sowing that fear of the Lord and knowledge of the holy into your children's lives very intentionally is so key in establishing them in truth and helping guide them away from real problems and struggles in their life. None of us or our children are exempt from those struggles. We've seen our children go through some difficult times and some challenges that we would have loved to have helped them to be exempt from those, you might say. Yeah. But we've seen them come out on the other side victorious. We're still praying for some issues that uh, haven't fully been overcome yet. But um, I'm thankful that God gave us the opportunity and provided for us in such a way that we were able to consistently uh, train and equip them during those years. Yeah. So you've, you're starting to see the fruit of that investment in your kids' lives as they're adults, as they gain victory. Yeah. No one's exempt from challenges and troubles. The Lord uses those in our lives to conform us more into the likeness of his image. But when you walk into them with some equipping, (laughs) the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the Holy One, it sure makes going through them a whole lot easier. Oh, so true. And of course, I'm biased, but our children have done very well, both in their higher educational pursuits and their vocation. Because, I mean, we completed our textbooks. We did Mm -hmm. research papers, book reports, and things that sometimes they don't ever even do or attempt to do in in some school settings. Uh, Our son, son Ben had scholarships throughout his undergraduate education. He acquired a master's degree in counseling from a Christian university. Our daughter attended a local junior college in And while she was there, she was asked to tutor other students in English comp. So something worked right. Yeah. And except for a brief time when she was out of state, she worked from the age of 15 until recently with our denomination's international headquarters office. And she was chosen as employee of the year for three years in a row. So I'm I'm bragging. That's okay. They're my kids. (laughs) You did a good job. But I would, like you say, I would be very clear that homeschooling is not for everyone. Right. Uh, But there's multiple curricula, online schools, homeschooling, co-ops, and a lot of things that are available to assist if this is what God is calling you to do. I would just caution and say, make sure you're hearing him clearly and you're willing to be disciplined and make the commitment it requires. Yeah, one of our uh, sons when he was going into his junior year, came home and said, I want to be homeschooled. And that was shocking to my husband and I, because he was the life of the party. He liked to be out and about with his friends and wanted to be involved in sports. So I was kind of shocked, one, but you know, there was some maturity there. He realized that some of the friends that he was hanging around with was kind of pulling him into troublesome areas. Yeah, I'm not sure he totally understood the implications of what he was asking, but I know the Holy Spirit was working through that. And um, I mean, my husband and I were both working full time in ministry, so I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work. So we said, well, if you you come up with a, a solution for this, we'll check it out. And if we think it's okay, we'll do it. So there was there was a co-op in our area that looked promising. So that's what we did for him. Our other kids stayed in 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 schools. Um, they were doing fine. They liked it, and, and that was okay with us. But it was, you know, it was an interesting time when he was a junior. Decided he mm, wanted to be homeschooled. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, God cares deeply about children. Over and over again in Scripture, He directs us to care for all of our children, particularly orphans, in addition to widows. Which is why Somebody Cares created the Widows and Orphan Fund. Uh, As a company of women together, we can do so much to take care of the special needs and cultivate the special gifts of children in the care of our ministry partners around the world. Like recently, two brothers we helped stay in their family home after both of their parents passed away. I invite you to join our number with a gift at hergodstory.org by clicking on Help Now. If you have cryptocurrency, which isn't doing so well at the moment, 
But once it turns up again, if you have cryptocurrency, we even accept that. Kay, how did you move from being a full-time homeschooling mom to leading organizations? I mean, you've been in ministry for many years now and and been a part of leading quite a few organizations. Uh, Did you plan and carefully strategize a, a career path or just how did you move from mom to ministry leader? I wish I was that structured and organized with my life plan. <laughs> but Jody, I can honestly say I never submitted my resume or applied for a single ministry position without first being asked to serve. Really? I began in a volunteer position at the Pregnancy Care Center. Of course, that was because someone had come to our church and asked for people to volunteer. And from that point, they asked me to become like the office manager. And eventually I served as the executive director of that nonprofit for six years before God dramatically (laughs) changed the course of my ministry journey. And so there's no strategizing or putting your name forward or trying to network your way into a position. It was just serving the Lord, being obedient to his call. Oh, you, you said it exactly right. I just, I just wanted to serve wherever he put me. And you've read my, my, my bio. Mm. It's, it's amazing to see the doors he's opened for a little girl Uh, who grew up in a family in Horn Lake, Mississippi, near Bullfrog Corner. (laughs) And I've been able to minister in multiple states and numerous countries outside the U.S. Uh, I, I can't explain it. It had to be God. And I think sometimes when we try to force it, especially as women in ministry, the doors close more quickly than they open. But if we allow God to direct our steps, and we put our trust fully in Him and His plan for our life. He opens the doors and provides the opportunities where He wants to use us. Yeah, and you know, that that applies to women who are working in the marketplace, women who are, who are educators, women who are in the medical profession. I mean, not that you never put a resume in, but the Lord is the one who opens the doors. It says in scripture, and I can't remember the actual verse right now, but the Lord is the one who raises up. You know, the Lord is the one who opens those doors for us. And I think uh, there's a message in the world, particularly for women today, that you have to um, just push your way through those doors. You have to break those glass ceilings. And it's the Lord who elevates. I mean, I've seen over and over, I mean, we talked about this the other day. I've seen over and over again in my own life, I have these, Lord, how did I get here moments? Recognizing it was only God who could have opened the doors for me to be where I was. And I know you've had similar experiences. Share share some of those moves and and moments that, you know, only God could have arranged. The reality is we all deal with, with stained glass ceilings yes, (laughs) and sticky floors. And for me, I think sometimes the sticky floor, my own feelings of insecurity and inadequacy could have been real hindrances for me. But after leaving uh, New Hope Pregnancy Care Center, I became the first female associate and later the interim pastor of our local church. This was a church at that time we had attended for more than like 28 years. And uh, that was was just God divinely uh, moving me from one position to the other. That's that's a long story, and I won't go into all of the details. But uh, when the when the pastor called me into his office that day to ask if I wanted to serve on staff at that local church, I had so clearly heard from the Lord before that, and he and and his wife, and you know, they had prayed through it the night before, or probably for some some days before that. That when when I said yes, I didn't even know what I was fully saying yes to. Yeah, I didn't know if it was full time or part time, and I didn't I didn't even know the title. I just knew that God was directing me in that in that way. And for three years after that, uh, I began during that time uh, 
serving with, with the pastor in a media ministry that he was leading. And I moved from that church to become the administrator of this international media ministry and the Christian education minister providing insight segments on this World Impact television program. I did that for three years. So you were crisis pregnancy center leader. You were on staff at a church. You were the head of a media ministry. I mean, you hadn't really trained for any of that, but you were consistently spending time with the Lord and hearing what he was saying to you, which makes you qualified. It's funny that you talk about how I I hadn't really qualified or prepared. I was actually in the process of becoming a licensed minister. I was still just considered like a lay minister Mm -hmm. when I was asked to serve at that church, because earlier that year I had sensed God saying, okay, it's time to move to the next level. And even though I'd always said, you don't have to have a license to do what you do, Kay. The Lord was saying, it's time for you to become credentialed. So I became credentialed during the time that I was serving at that church and then moved to the media ministry. And amazingly, uh, God blessed me to become a ministries project coordinator for an international center for spiritual renewal, which was the spearhead organization for the 2006 Azusa Street Centennial. And they brought in like 50,000 people from 106 nations of the world. And bear in mind, this is the little girl from Horn Lake, Mississippi, that grew up in a family without many ministers at all. Wow. It had to be God. Yeah. Well, he likes to use those who are so unlikely so that he gets the glory. That's what I have come to realize in my own life. You know, when I have that moment of, how did I get here, Lord? It's like, well, I got you here because I want to be glorified through you. And, yes. um, you know, when we recognize that, it's kind of fun to see what God's up to in your life. You know, it's it's an adventure that you never know how he's going to use you next or where he's going to move you next. Well, it was during my adventure with the Center for Spiritual Renewal that we together formed the Awakening America Alliance. Uh-huh. And um, after doing that, I stepped away for a brief time to... Uh, finish a degree in Christian ministries with an emphasis in Bible. And uh, afterwards, I became the coordinator for that national prayer ministry known as Cry Out America. That was part of the Awakening America Alliance. And this evolved into serving as the interim director of this ministry uh, because uh the, the leader at that time moved to be a president of a university and it was so funny, Jody. Well, maybe not so funny <laughs> uh, that when I was called in to meet with the board of directors, they asked if I would serve because they had not yet found God's man for the job. Mm-hmm. And um, they must not have found him because later they began to uh, talk with me about the possibility of just dropping that interim descriptive from my title. And I became the executive director of that ministry. Wow. Uh, most mm-hmm. recently though, a really exciting thing that the Lord allowed me to do was serve a two year term as the first executive director for the Pentecostal charismatic churches of North America. And that encompassed leaders from Canada, Mexico, and the U S Wow. Yeah, but I was trying to to wear a few too many hats. And I think uh, I've heard some others on your podcast mention, we have to be careful that we're doing the God things and not just the good things. Right, yeah. And even though I knew the Lord directed me to do that for a season, I also knew when he said, okay, it's time to stop that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our egos will say, Lord, how can I do that? How can I step aside from this? Look where you've placed me. But I knew he was saying, I want you to focus back on the Awakening America Alliance. And since I have, it's really become very involved with a a recent campaign called He Gets Us. Yeah, that's an exciting campaign. It is. And and multi-million dollars have been put into this campaign where uh, a company called Glue has the technology to connect the people who see the advertising 
we call them explorers, Mm -hmm. uh, to help connect them with local churches. And so I'm really blessed to be able to interact and help pastors and churches to uh, take advantage of this amazing harvest opportunity because I believe that we are really in an accelerated harvest in the kingdom of God. And all of us have got to be very sensitive to the journey that God has us on so that we don't miss the harvest. Like, That's ex- like when, yeah. yeah, like when Jesus was sitting at the well that day ministering to the Samaritan woman mm-hmm. and the disciples came up and she's just left to go back to the village to tell her friends. And he says to them, guys, it's not about lunch. Lift up your eyes and look. The harvest just ran past you. Yeah. You know, it reminded me, I I was on a a call not too long ago with uh, one of the gentlemen representing the He Gets Us campaign. And it reminds me of back in the 70s, there was an I Found It campaign where there were bumper stickers and billboards and everything. And and, and it was a similar uh, campaign to raise the awareness of Jesus in our culture. And so, so many people uh, encountered the Lord through everyday people, through everyday Christians that were out in the marketplace uh, representing the Lord. And this is this He Gets Us campaign is similar, although it's much more technologically advanced because of all the technology today. So we're going to have a link to the He Gets Us campaign um, on the show notes as well. So if you're with a church or you're with a ministry and you want to know more about it, um, check out the show notes and you can find out a little bit more and see if you want to get involved. Yes. And, and if they want to reach out to me, Jody, I would love to connect them and help them get actually a free subscription to this technology platform to actually be able to text and connect with the people who are exploring this Jesus who loves and cares for us right where we are and understands us when we're dealing with issues like I dealt with as an adolescent or a teen or issues of being judged or are facing racial biases and prejudices and so many things. These videos are so amazing at how they reveal a contemporary Jesus who loves and cares like the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah. So we will have your information, your contact information on there as well. So uh, people can connect with you and find out more about it too, because it's uh, it is powerful, and I I really expect the Lord to do great things through it as as people encounter Him in a way that they never knew they could, and they see a church who also lives and loves like Jesus, who reaches out yes. to them at that point of need. Well, things haven't always been rosy in your journey. Um, while you were faithfully serving in a church. You had a fatal attraction kind of experience. Um, God used it for his glory, but for a while it was pretty rough. Share what happened and what God showed you in and through that experience. Well, the full story would require a completely separate podcast. Yeah. (laughs) But briefly, uh, while I was serving as the associate pastor of our church, we began assisting a young single mom with two little girls. We soon discovered that she had some deep, emotional, mental, and spiritual issues that were resulting partially from her her childhood, but also from having prostituted herself to ministers and living in a same-sex relationship. Um, she might show up at our house at 2.30 in the morning saying that God sent her to pray for me or leave a voice message filled with cursing and horrible accusations Uh, One of the first criminal things she did, and this is very interesting, considering that I helped to lead a national prayer ministry Mm -hmm. after this, but one of the first criminal things she did was vandalize our church's prayer chapel and later attempted to attack me while I was there in the prayer chapel for morning prayer time. Wow. Uh, Yes, we prayed, we counseled. And after a 40-day fast, the pastor and I spent hours interceding with her for deliverance from this demonic oppression. 
Yet within a few days, she had opened her spirit to all of this darkness again, and she became worse than before, mm. according wow. to scripture. Yeah. And the constant stalking and harassment, it lasted for more than three years. Wow. How did you deal with that? How did your family deal with that? I mean, what were you mis- must have been thinking? Well, it, it was not easy, but I was so thankful for a godly husband, protective companion for the body of Christ who helped to surround us during that time. I was thankful for friends in local law enforcement and in the judicial system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I was, uh, I was very protective of my children sure. trying to care for them during that time. It was, it was unbelievable. I, I just, there's really no words to describe it until you've walked through it. But the per- yeah, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back was when she attempted vehicular homicide by ramming our car in a head-on collision wow. that my husband was able to swerve and avert because he mm. was the driver at that time. And um, thankfully, God protected us. Perry protected me multiple times. But this incident combined with other charges, culminated in her spending six six years of an eight-year sentence in prison. Wow. And she would even, this this is amazing how you you can tell that it was demonically motivated in many ways. Uh, She would call us collect from the local justice center Mm -hmm. and even tried to reach to me when she was at the state prison the significance of the timing when these attacks occurred revealed God's hand and anointing on my life. You say, yeah, what lessons? Always critical times, huh? Yeah. You say, what lessons did you learn? I learned that obviously God's hand was on my life or the enemy would not be opposing me so dramatically. Yeah. And uh, because God desired to bring unity in the body of Christ, still wants to bring unity in the body of Christ. That's what the Awakening America Alliance is really about, is unifying the body across our barriers and walls and divides that we have. The enemy hates that. Yeah. He hates anything involved with unity. And we were involved in some real strategic unifying initiatives Um, after I left the church and this continued with the stalking and harassing. And I saw because of the enemy's opposition at strategic moments, it was because he was fighting that pursuit of unity. But overall, I think we can truly find joy and honor in being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing perspective. I mean, I, you know, something like that starts to happen. And I'm sure, you know, you thinking, Lord, what did I do wrong? Am I in sin? Do I need to repent from something? What's going on? Am my prayers not effective? Um, I'm sure all those things run through your mind. Uh, but eventually God kind of revealed this deeper meaning to you. I went through all of those things, Jody. You are so on track. I said, Lord, what have I done to deserve this? Lord, cleanse me, purify me. If there's anything in my life, anything from my past, any trigger points, any targets, you know, I I don't want to be a target for the enemy. Yeah. But I remember, and I think this may be what you're referencing. I remember one day walking up the sidewalk from the parking lot to our church offices and, and it was if I just had this overwhelming sense, Lord, what a joy and a privilege it is to suffer this for you. Mm. I had suffered plenty of things for my own wrongdoing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I had, and for other people's wrongdoing or disobedience to God. But it was in this moment that I realized the Lord was just saying, Kay, this has, it's not, it hasn't anything to do with you except that I have chosen you to suffer for my sake. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, not something that you want to hear the Lord say, Hey, you're going to suffer for my sake in the beforehand. 
But to give that revelation you were in the middle of it is, you know, uh, kind of a mark of his favor. And yet I count myself so unworthy when I look at those around the world who are suffering so yeah. horrendously. I truly, I was blessed. One of those opportunities that I had and was blessed with uh, was to attend a summit in D.C. Uh, called the World Summit in Defense of Persecuted Christians. Mm-hmm. And as I sat in those room, in that room with other believers from around the world, even places like North Korea, Syria, Myanmar, those places, and we partook of the Eucharist together. Yeah. I yeah. sat there and I said, oh, oh, God, I'm so unworthy. And yet this is what it's going to be like in heaven when we yeah. all sit together at the marriage supper of the Lamb and, and all of us together are able to celebrate how we overcame through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the word of our testimony and through our willingness to give it all. You know, sometimes we stop short. We say that we overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. But the rest of that verse says, and they did not count their lives worthy even to death. Yeah, Yeah, it's humbling. Kay, as a woman who's served in leadership roles for many years now, what biblical truths or principles do you encourage younger women to embrace in their journey, whether they're in ministry or whether they're just walking with the Lord you know, in another calling, uh, in the marketplace or some other aspect, what, what are some of those principles or truths that you would really want to impart to women who are trying to lead a godly, holy life? First, I would say something that I did not learn initially, but I have grown to love and appreciate as I've matured in my walk with Christ. I would say, give God the first fruits of every day. By taking time to develop an intimate relationship with Him. This principle of perichoresis that's referred to by some as the dance, it begins in Genesis and it's threaded throughout Scripture. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were already in ongoing communion and conversation in the heavenlies. And yet through creation, they invite us to join them in the dance. And we do this through prayer and engagement with God's word and joining him on mission in the world around us. And secondly, I would say, enjoy every step of the dance or the journey. Take advantage of the cross training along the way. To quote another Jody with the last (laughs) name Dietrich from her book, The Jesus Hearted Woman. Mm -hmm. She says, take the stairs Some people are what I call elevator leaders. They want a quick and easy ride to the top, skipping everything in between. But the strength to lead well when you get to the top and the stamina to stay there is built by taking the stairs, by putting one foot in front of the other, dealing with incremental levels of leadership. Finally, there's one other thing I would say to a a younger person just launching out into ministry, wherever God has called them, do it with authenticity. You have nothing to prove and nothing to lose by being who God created and called you to be. You don't have to fit into anyone else's ministry shoes. God has your pair of high heels or combat boots personally designed for you. Amen. That reminds me of just what you said earlier about the sticky floors and not getting stuck because we feel we're not worthy. I mean, we're not worthy, (laughs) but God equips us uh, and to fully embrace either those high heels or the combat boots according to what God has for us. So true. But conversely, not taking that elevator. I think that's more the mentality we live in, uh, such a fast-paced world. I mean, Mm -hmm. our world's become a neighborhood. And with uh, drive-through restaurants and microwaves and internet technology, we think things should happen instantly. I I graduate from high school. I, I pursue my degree and my credentials, and I'm on the high road now. But 
God wants us to take it a step at a time as he leads us. And as I say, as he cross trains us for what he has ahead. That's true. My, uh, my career path was, you know, I started as a computer programmer and then I was an event planner and then I was in marketing and, you know, I mean, all of these, it seemed like, it seemed like I was schizophrenic, but it was where the Lord was taking me. And as every next step along the way of where God had me, I could see all the things I'd learned from the past were strengthening and weaving together so I could do a better, I could serve him better in the next role he had me in. I jokingly say my bio sounds like I had trouble keeping a job. Yeah. <laughs> But that was really God training and equipping me for the next step and the next step and the next step. And I have not arrived by any means. And and there are still times that I'm thinking, "Mm, Lord, I could go home to baking chocolate chip cookies and doing things with my husband who's semi-retired. But when I start considering that, there's this passion and drive in my spirit that I still yeah. want to touch at, reach out and touch other young women and pastors' wives and people in ministry. And I want to continue to mobilize and engage the body of Christ in united prevailing prayer that is going to be required if we're going to experience the Christ awakening He has for us in this nation. Well, I'd love to ask my guests to share if there's a woman in the Bible whose story has inspired or encouraged or taught you something and how her story relates to yours. Is there someone, Kay? I would have to say that I'm a blend of both Mary and Martha. Ah. I love sitting at the feet of Jesus, clinging to his word, pouring the oil of anointed worship and sharing with others, teaching or preaching. Yet I'm also called to be a leader who serves leaders. And sometimes the Martha side of me becomes so involved in serving and administrative responsibilities that I'm robbed of of the joy of spending more time in his presence. So it's a constant balancing act. But Mm -hmm. I think we need both in the kingdom of God. We need the Marthas and we need the Marys. So I say... Whichever one you feel that you might be, don't (laughs) despise it and allow God to synergize if you're a little bit of both. Yeah. Amen. That's great. Well, as we wrap up, I want to share Psalm 119 uh, verses 105. And it says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it and I will follow your righteous laws. Kay shared how crucial the Word of God has been in her journey and should be in our journey, keeping her on the path of righteousness for His name's sake. And there are many blessings that come from following that path of righteousness. Proverbs 12, 28 says, In the way of righteousness, there's life. And Psalm 1, 6 says, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the sinner will perish. While Psalm 5:12 reminds us that the Lord blesses the righteous and surrounds them with favor as with a shield. If you've listened to Kay's story, you can see that all of those things are true in her life and they will be in yours as well. No matter where you are in your faith journey, the word of God has direction, has hope, has encouragement, and so much more for you. We've developed a devotional actually that is freely available for you at hergodstory.org. It's based on the life of women in the Bible. It's there to help you to start, to restart, or continue a meaningful time with the Lord giving him that first fruit of your day. So we hope you'll take advantage of it. Kay, would you take a moment and pray for everyone who listens to your amazing God story? Thank you, Jody. I would be honored. Abba Father, thank you. Thank you for this special time today, sharing about your amazing grace and goodness in our lives. I pray that you would speak revealing your love and compassion for every person listening to this podcast. May they hear you calling them by their name, the name you have given them, revealing your purpose and your calling in their lives. Grant grace and favor in their place of ministry, whether that's in their home, the marketplace, the church, or the broader kingdom of God. And along with the words of Francis Frangipane, I want to decree 
that you can topple the stronghold of our experiences, Father. We have to let you be found true, though every man be found a liar. You're the only one who has a right to shape our lives, Jesus. Help us. Help us determine. Help us to determine to allow nothing and no one to shape us, not even our personal experiences, unless they are consistent with your word and your promises for us. We declare that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is ruling and reigning in our lives with victory and power for overcoming every obstacle the enemy might try to throw our way. So thank you, Jesus Christ, for choosing and inviting us into personal relationship and on mission with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Links to Kay's books, as well as the scriptures and information about the Awakening America Alliance, the Helper Connection, the He Gets Us campaign, they're all in our show notes at hergodstory.org. There you can also sign up for periodic emails and get that free devotional book downloading uh, on women in the Bible. We'd love for you to share Kay's story with your friends and be sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And now, dear friends, I leave you with a blessing that I've adapted from 1 Kings 8, verses 60 and 61, and Deuteronomy 4.1. May you know the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord your God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands, so that you may live and take possession of everything the Lord has spoken and is giving to you. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.